welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. I'm Mikey. All right, and we are here talking about episode two slash three. Still, I'm not sure how we're going to reconcile the numbering system. I would say, like, we draw a line in the sand or whatever and commit to one or the other, obviously. I, I say, although what's technically correct is this is episode two. Mm-hmm. We go by what most people will be watching it on, it's which Netflix. is Netflix or Hulu or whatever, and in which and in that case it's it's episode three. Okay. So I say we call it episode three and I swallow my pride. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Because we're also like we're watching it on the discs, which right. calls this episode two. Mm-hmm. And we also it means we're seeing it with the log lady intros, which aren't on Netflix. Netflix or Hulu or any of those. Okay. Do you want uh, to say anything about the Log Lady in- intros? The Log Lady intros are really, really interesting. So after the show completely aired and was done, they had a re-airing on, I think, Bravo several years later. And they, before every episode, there was a brief 30-second intro with the Log Lady speaking directly to camera mm-hmm. in really cryptic messages. So this one, for example, I don't think I'll read them every time, but um, some... That actually might not be a bad idea to read them if you have the okay. thing, because if people don't get, get them... Sure. It'd be kind of a, it's kind of a cool tidbit. Uh, sometimes ideas, like men, jump up and say, hello, they introduce themselves, these ideas with words. Are they words? These ideas speak so strangely... All that we see in this world is based on someone's ideas. Some ideas are destructive, some are constructive. Some ideas can arrive in the form of a dream. I can say it again. Some ideas arrive in the form of a dream. So, what the importance of these are is... So David Lynch, Mark Frost, created this show. David Lynch directed one two three four five i think six total episodes Mm -hmm. in the entire series david lynch is the only one who knows what he wants to say with the entire series so when he goes back and he's watching other episodes he's disappointed it's not his story it's not so when he did this this is his way to put his own filter on episodes specifically so some of the the log lady intros when they get into later seasons and and episodes that he does not want to take credit for Uh he's steering you and talking directly to you to try to say like ignore what you're seeing here that's (laughs) not what i'm trying to say listen to what i'm telling you because in in these cases margaret colson um or catherine colson margaret lanterman is the log lady she is david lynch and she spe- it's David Lynch speaking directly to you. Mm-hmm. Um, which you'll also notice in most of the David Lynch episodes, he does without the Log Lady intros. Because when that first aired, it didn't have that. There are moments in almost every Lynch-directed episode where he's talking to you specifically, the audience. Mm-hmm. In this case, um, I took a note about it. It's the bit where Truman pulls Cooper aside and says... Did you really get all of this from a dream? Mm-hmm. Like, they're both like t- 
turn toward camera, uh-huh. they're talking to Very, like, you. Very Shakespeare aside. Yeah, it's it's David Lynch talking to you, the audience, and talking about David Lynch. Mm-hmm. He's telling you right there, David Lynch got ideas from dreams. This is he's talking about. David Lynch, who Cooper is kind of a vehicle for David Lynch is right. the way I've seen him a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just an interesting thing, I think, to note um, as far as the importance primarily of the, the Log Lady intros. Um, so before we kick into the uh, the episode summary, can we talk a little bit about the intro? Because I've seen it so many times and it just occurred to me today, like, what the fuck? <laughs> So the intro is starts with a little bird, and it's just a bunch of imagery of specifically the steel mill. Steel mill. Well, it's a lot of things. It's a lot um, of things. It's there's this. First of all, is you're getting into the shorter ones now. Um, first episode, season one, the pilot, and first episode, season two, both have the longer introduction. Mm-hmm. This is a shorter one. There's clips taken out. Okay. okay. So they go back and forth, and then they show you a bunch of images of, I guess, the town. Um, but almost every image is in direct contrast to the previous image. So it's nature, then it's you know a sawmill, then it's you know the beautiful waterfall, then it's the you know the smokestacks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's constantly going back and forth between the duality of you know technology and nature Mm -hmm. and they almost all dissolve into each other so they're all kind of blending sure the worlds and you know obviously a major theme throughout the entire series is duality Mm -hmm. and more importantly the balance between them the good and evil you know fear and love all these things and how well they interact with each other Mm -hmm. all right so let uh let's kick off with the beginning of plus it's a beautiful theme song and it really like sets you into this mood like this is where this is the mood you should be in to watch twin peaks you just sit back and kind of it just this see i feel like it's such a lovely song and then you jump into twin peaks and it's all like a little off but i think it's it's don't like let let twin peaks come to you Hmm. do you know what i mean like don't 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 get in there and play detective don't get it let it let just just sit, sit back and relax and let it happen. Mm-hmm. And and that's what it was trying to do, but never, you know, audiences got control and put that to bed. But we'll <laughs> get into that later. Okay, so we're starting off on episode three. The Horn family sits at the dinner table in silence until Jerry enters. So we've got um, Audrey Horn, Mikey's one true love, her dad, uh, Jerry Horn. Ben Horn. Ben Horn cunts. Oh, yeah, because Jerry's his brother. Um, The mother, whose name is... Sylvia. Sylvia and the brother, Johnny. Johnny, yeah. Who is ostensibly special needs, wearing what is now a deeply inappropriate headdress, but at the time was just like, look, this kid's weird. We're going to put him in a hat. Yeah, but it's also kind of not only, yeah, a time thing, but like in that area, I don't think it's as racist. Mm. I think what we considered racist in 1990 or 89 or whatever is a lot different than... I don't know. I haven't lived in the Northwest in a long time. So. Right. 
I just I I I always got the impression that I mean, I think it wasn't as I mean it's always been racist. It just wasn't perceived as racist. It, sure, sure. And so so when I say it's an inappropriate, that's me commenting from 2020 right, and saying in right. our modern day sensibilities, we understand why that's like hashtag problematic. Mm-hmm. Whereas then it was just like, mm-hmm. how can we make this kid quirky? Um. So Jerry, um, Ben's, Ben's brother. brother. Um, returns from his trip to David Paris. Patrick Kelly, who's incredible. <laughs> He's the wildest character. He's insane, and I love it. And that's that's who he always is. He oh, Every character he's ever played has been, like, out there, and he's got that weaselly kind of voice that's yeah. really spastic. Yeah. He's fantastic. I love that guy. Uh, he brings a brie and butter baguettes to share with Ben, which, A... He just got back from Paris. I did say that. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that. Um... Which, A, really fucking rude because he only gives it to Ben and there is three other human beings sitting at that table. Well, not only is that rude, it's also rude that they're in the middle of family dinner and Ben just gets up, eats this other thing and leaves with him. And heads out to the strip club. Well, ladies of the night It's a brothel. Brothel, thank you. I could not think of that word. Slash slash casino. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So it's all above board. Yeah. But it's in Canada. It's in Canada, so, so they don't have laws there. Something. They have um, bears that run things. But that scene is. You really like this incredible. story. I well, it's yeah. The story about. So this is a, this is a great story. So um, about David Lynch and his directing style. So this is one of the few episodes actually directed by David Lynch, and then supposedly they did several takes of when Jerry gives Ben the baguette, and of course he, like a psychopath bites out of the middle of the baguette which is just nuts um but he did it and lynch just kept giving him the direction bigger bigger more more insane more flamboyant bigger which to be fair if i'm eating a baguette that's just yeah. butter and brie and like you watch this and he's like mm, um oh, like it's, so, it's over the top. so over the top and and richard beamer who's a classically trained actor was mm-hmm. like Tony from West Side Story this is insane how this is gonna be so ridiculous and it feels really big when it he's feels doing it feels over the top and cartoonish and silly in this way that's just like this isn't gonna land mm-hmm. but it but it it's it, he gets to it and then supposedly he saw the playback saw the episode Richard Beamer did it and was like oh I get it I could have gone way bigger. Way bigger. And like, it's just this early moment of like, that's how groundbreaking Twin Peaks was. Is like the people doing it and the people making it didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. And actually this scene, this whole scene was really, for me, one of the first scenes that's like so Twin Peaks. And not in you that like- You spent two minutes just watching them sit at a table mm-hmm. and each in their own little way <laughs> doing know, whatever me, there is. You it's know what made me think of- do you remember the SNL sketch when Will Ferrell and his family... I drive a Dodge Stratus. <laughs> That's what it made me think yeah, of. It's yeah. just a family sitting around for dinner and they randomly start yelling at because each other. Because they hate each other. But they, it's ten... Because everybody hates each other. full on minutes of silence and you're yeah. just waiting to be like, you know what? Fuck you, Dad. <laughs> yeah. I wish you weren't a liar. <laughs> That's what it is. I knew there was a thing we always say yeah. all the time. Is that what that... That's I say that I like that I always like that line. But, yeah, no, it's good. But yeah, it's but anyway, just, it's it's to me the first because um, I I think we had the autopsy scene is very like Peak Twin Peaks mm-hmm. for Peak Twin Peaks would have been a much better name for this stupid podcast. No, Cooper Duke is great. <laughs> um, 
when you know so there's a lot of things that have happened that are uh, iconic but for some reason this scene where it's like this big cold room and a weird guy bursts in mm-hmm. and just like three people sit there quietly and, and of course to... his name is jerry so you get the ben and jerry joke yeah. right there but like there's just something about the fact and i'm just trying to put it into words that it's the three people so the mom daughter son are all still sitting quietly mm-hmm. Meanwhile, there's a whole fucking scene happening uh-huh. with Ben and Jerry just mowing these and having full conversations with their mouths full of food. But it just goes to show you like how close these two are that like they understand each they other. They know they know. They just know what each other's saying. And like, oh yeah. Like, but they know ex- and you even get the idea of like you, get, you know what they're saying. Right. Well, and I think it's the idea of, I think the thing about Twin Peaks that is sort of summed up in this, which this is like a wildly hot take that I didn't expect to be like driving down. But to me, this is like the most um, um, representative of Twin Peaks because I feel like so much of, of the show is there's a room full of people and one person or four people are doing something bananas that is like not okay to do in public or on mm-hmm. earth and, and everybody nobody reacts and everybody's like yeah good news i have my beer like whatever mm-hmm. so and so can do yeah. but and this is like such a microcosm of that of like audrey the mom the and johnny what's the mom's name sylvia sylvia are just sitting there quietly continuing to eat their meal i if i remember right and ben and jerry are screaming mm-hmm. and eating as my husband so astutely said eating their sandwiches like fucking psychopaths <laughs> from the like it's a baguette it's like a foot long, and a half long yeah. and just right in the fucking <laughs> middle like a true sociopath <laughs> Which is how you know, oh, I was going to do a fun joke about a spoiler, but I didn't want to do a joke about spoilers. Um, Nailed it. Got it. Um, yeah, so my note is just eat sandwich like a sociopath. Um, and that, and on top of that, which makes it really Twin Peaksy to me, is like, he's like, we got to talk, buddy, to Ben is the dad, Jerry is the brother. brother. Brings him over, we got to talk. And he's like, Leland Palmer's daughter got murdered. Also, the Norwegians left, <laughs> and says says those two things with the exact same amount of importance. And I think and like without even a get like it's like a run on sentence. Yeah, like and I think maybe that's what I'm going to learn to love this time around in um in this viewing is watching the <laughs> the words and the emotions frequently don't quite and that's match and that's a very you see that is much more prominent in the Lynch episodes. Okay. That's a Lynch. Lynch loves timing. Mm-hmm. And like, he loves things like that being smushed together really fast. But then like, why, why did we, why did we throw all these huge pieces of information together in like one quick line of dialogue, but we sat and watched him eat for five minutes before anybody said anything. Right, right. Like he loves doing that kind to of. To be fair, I think too. that was over the credits, but I guess there's no reason they it can't is, talk but, over the yeah, credits. Exactly, they That's do it all the time. It's it's <laughs> to show the awkwardness between them. To me, it just felt like an old MGN movie of like. Gotta wait till the credits. Yeah. Right <laughs> mm-hmm. um, after quite enjoying the sandwich, Ben takes Jerry aside, tell him about Laura's murder and the Norwegian businessman leaving the hotel. He also notes that there's a new girl at One-Eyed Jacks, which is this the first instance of One-Eyed Jacks being mentioned? Yes. And it's also um, 
this is they tease with the um perfume. Oh, is it? but he gets the that perfume. note afterwards, doesn't he? He gets the note afterwards, but he says there's a new girl at One Eye Jacks, freshly perfumed from or freshly scented from the perfume counter. Oh, uh, wink. All right, yeah, hang on to that one cuz I definitely noticed it and took notes about it. Um he also notes there's a new girl at One Eye Jacks and that the brother the one of the brothers was, quote, first in line, so they take a boat to the brothel. So this is a wild turn of events. Yeah, well, it's, it's yeah, it's very much, what the fuck? He just, he just up and leaves dinner to, like, bring, go head up to the brothel yeah, with his brother who just showed up out of nowhere. Like, But this was the 90s. They didn't even need a passport to go into Canada. You oh, know? oh, yeah. I mean, not, it's true, but, like, yeah, it's crazy. Um, uh, Donna's parents... Mm, Donna's parents go to bed leaving her and James alone that must have been an aside that I oh it's when she and Donna and James were talking really really close together in their faces yes yes that's all that this has oh they Donna's parents oh, go to bed leaving her and James because alone because they they leave them alone in a previous scene oh it's it's cut I think before because because I know I remember the cut is just, oh, 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 just they, right they on they cut back and forth yeah right on James's face Okay, uh, Ben and Jerry arrive at One-Eyed Jacks and order drinks. Ooh, this is maybe my least favorite and most misogynist line in uh, this particular episode. Eh. I didn't like it. The, Truman's got what could be a great line that's spoiled by a... Ooh, okay. You know I what don't, I'm talking about? I don't, but I want to hear it. Don't tell me yet. Don't tell me yet. Yeah. Tell me in context, Michael. We're trying to be storytellers. Um so he, Jerry, who's the brother, which I'm gonna, I'm keeping, I'm gonna continue saying not just because I'm trying to help listeners who don't know, it's because I don't know, and I'm doing my best here. Uh, ben and Jerry arrive at One Eyed Jacks and order drinks. So Jerry walks up to the bar, uh, and, and this is like a very like imagine what a 1990s show would imagine a brothel looks like. So Jerry, the brother, walks up to the bar and says, we're going to have two drinks. One, scotch on the rocks, and the other... Double scotch on the rocks. Oh, excuse me. One, double scotch on the rocks, and one, double scotch on the rocks. And the bartender goes, so two scotch on the rocks? And he goes, I think I wrote this down. (laughs) Next up, rocket rocket science. Rocket science. And I wanted to punch him in his dumb face because A... That <laughs> rang so true to me of my old like serving and oh, bartending yeah. days of like, hey, I'm gonna be the cool patron and I'm gonna do a fun little bit here. But also just like, like this is again an instance of duality. Of Ben is the dark, creepy brother with running some weird things. He's clearly into some shit. And Ben just comes in and he's nothing but smiles. I think you said Ben twice. Did you mean Jerry the second time? I did. Okay. So Ben, yeah, Ben Horn is is into some shady business dealing cells. Jerry comes in and he super smiles all the time. Yeah. And he's always got, his energy is always above everybody else's. And that's another just great instance of two people who work off each other a lot and have polar opposite, you know, the duality of, of character with them. Um, the the madam Blackie O'Reilly, in case you're wondering, she is white. Uh, brings out the girl. She wears all black. <laughs> <laughs> brings out the girl. So the, did you, did you just solve racism by understanding that the madam wears all black, and so they call her Blackie? 
No, I just... Would it be... Wor- okay, important oh, cue. Okay. Oh. Is it better or worse if a woman's name is Blackie and she's black or white? Which makes you more uncomfortable. They both make me uncomfortable. It's not great, is it? It's like, I think Whitey Bulger really is the last human being who could be nicknamed Whitey. <laughs> yeah, anyway, um, uh, Blackie O'Reilly brings out the girls and the Horn Brothers toss the coin for the new girl. Ben wins, so Jerry has a drink of Blackie. Let's talk about these ladies. Mm-hmm. Um... There is a big part of me that has a lot of respect for the wardrobe department because the whole theme of these women is like they're wearing lingerie and they're all card themed. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if it's true for all of them, but the new girl, quote unquote, um, she it looks like her bra is like a fanned hand of cards mm-hmm. that put in like, oh, that's actually pretty clever. I bet it was deeply uncomfortable to wear. Um, but But again, that's the kind of thing I think women in that position would wear is something deeply uncomfortable. Oh, yes, for like, sure. it isn't designed for any level of comfort. All bras are deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, but, right, that's what I mean. Like, all of that stuff is like, I don't care. I just like, changed sports care. bras today because my one sports bra was slightly uncomfortable. Right, and I don't too. deserve that in quarantine. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, One-Eyed Jacks is gross and terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, the women infrequently talk if ever besides blackie correct a close personal friend do any of the uh, we're gonna learn of some people who went through the one eject system and we'll talk about them a little bit later but in general none of the one eject's women have like their own storyline or name yeah or i mean dialogue blackie's or... a legitimate character she yeah. plays a fairly prominent role um but so we can look forward to when a when I it's, jack's being when addressing. And they, they even kind of discuss this in some level later in this episode when they refer to the importance of one eye jacks on the chalkboard. Oh, does oh, so yeah, do we yeah. does this count? Should, is this should we should this we is a place, yeah. And we'll get there. But like that's that's kind of like the people at one eye jacks aren't that important. The significance of one eye jacks right. is. And what it, it turns into this like code of oh she worked at 1A Jax's code for like fallen woman really yeah yeah um so moving on James insists to Donna that this is this conversation their faces are basically touching and it makes me very uncomfortable I don't like it because the first things they cut to James like James is a perfectly good looking guy and they just cut to his face and it's filling up the whole screen and it's simply too much I mean yeah a part of it is this was never meant to be watched on a 65-inch TV. <laughs> That's actually a good point. <laughs> I mean, in 1989 yeah. or whenever this episode came 90. out. Might have been 1990. It would have been 1990. Um, it was, you know, if you had a big TV, it was 22 inches. Right. You know what I mean? Like, How did we live? Like cavemen. Yeah. Uh, James insists to Donna that their relationship is not wrong, believing that they would still have ended up together had Laura not died, citing citing that he had feelings for her before. Good writing, Twin Peaks wiki as usual. Um, Cooper then returns to uh, the Great Northern, receives a phone call from Deputy Hawk, who informs that Ronette has recent, had recently quit her job at uh, Horn's department store and that he saw a one-armed man at the hospital. Um specifically the perfume counter at the perfume counter after he hangs up cooper is delivered a note that reads jack with one eye which i'm sorry if you're gonna get that close to just saying the name of the thing 
Like, why don't they say, like, the 11th card or something that, like, at I, least would take a beat to figure out instead of, like, one a jack with one eye. It's, one eye jacks. Fucking nailed when it you as find usual, out who Cooper. wrote it, which I don't know if you even remember. <laughs> Absolutely not. When you find out who wrote it, it fits the character, I think. Okay. Um, that, like, they're trying to help, but they are not incredibly bright. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think it kind of fits. Okay. Um, I did want to make, I made a quick note. Um, so I lived in Montana for um, two summers. Summer. They're from like March to November. So, um, and the decor of 1990s Pacific Northwest is so similar to that of mid-2000s Montana. I cannot believe it. Like, there. Every piece of furniture conceivable is made out of deer antlers. I mean, I've only been to that region of the country when we mm-hmm. went, you know, for Twin Peaks Fest and then, you know, bounced around in Seattle or whatever. But I get the impression that everything in the Pacific Northwest is about the Pacific Northwest. Yes. Like, Correct. their identity is their identity in almost a meadow way. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, and what what really made me think about it, I don't know if you noticed, over Cooper's bed, there's like deer hooves. Mm-hmm. Holding as, the rifle. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I've seen people have that. Oh, yeah. Like, it's such a, it just really, tra- the way they decorate, obviously they lose, use on-set locations, which is why, but just like, it transports me to the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. in such a real way. I really enjoy it. Also, like the color grading of, of the entire series mm-hmm. has like a very earthy, mm-hmm tone to it so it kind of matches which is one thing that kind of changed between the pilot and the rest of the series the series is all primarily like this brown green kind of thing and there was a lot more blue in oh um the pilot it's it's because it's like everything was really really cold you could see their breath the Mm -hmm. sky is that like overcast gray blue so everything kind of gave everything this slightly different tone yeah that's not quite the same in the rest of the season because they were cheating southern california for Mm -hmm. the pacific northwest oh interesting um bobby and mike uh so bobby is oof okay was laura's boyfriend but is also hooking up with shelly the waitress who is married to leo leo um, so Bobby's like football Quarterback. prom king yeah. like guy. And Bobby, or excuse me, and Mike is his psychic who I swear to fucking God every episode. I'm like, oh, who's that guy? <laughs> like he just has no staying power in my head. He's just Bobby's henchman. Uh, I mean, until they relegate. He's a character that they didn't know what to do with. You get into second season, what they do He's with He's still in the second season? He has a prominent storyline in the second season. I swear to God, I've been waiting for the episode where he just drops away. Really? Yeah. Huh. Ha ha ha. I just gave Jessica a pantomimed clue. Yeah. Oh. To remind her of his importance in season two. And I knew- you can't hear that. Na 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 boo boo. And I knew it. He was pantomiming, but spoiler alerts. Did not know what the fuck it meant. <laughs> Oh. Don't show me. I mean, I assume, but I don't know any context about it. Got it. Um, <laughs> stupid. Um, okay, so Bobby and Mike go out to the woods to pick up a, spl- a supply of cocaine from Leo. So again, Bobby is fucking Leo's wife, um, who problematically, supposedly is in high school or the age. She dropped out. 
dropped out. But reasonably, she's they're both 18. Yes, and Leo is 45. <laughs> he's not, I mean, he's still young. He's, it's also hard. He's to, probably like 24. Oh, it's just hard to gauge, like, when you go a little bit further back into what you're used to seeing as a signifier yeah. of, like, what adulthood looks like. To me, he looks like he's 40. Not that being 40 is bad, Michael. Some some men really come into their own when they turn 40. Yeah. <laughs> Whew. Uh, however, not all the expected supply is there, and Leo is present with another man who we'd never hear from again, is yeah. what Mikey yelled at the TV. <laughs> yeah, there. so... And the way they say that he's there with another man makes it sound like they're both there. It's Leo talking to them and there's a guy behind the tree in a mask. In like a full mask. In full shadow. Yeah. Like you, it's borderline completely silhouette. I don't think you ever, this is honestly the first time I've ever noticed that he's wearing a mask. Oh, really? It's it's usually not high enough quality where you can see that. What's Um, the mask called that goes all the way over your face? Ski mask. No, but there's a name for it and it sounds like... A baked good. It sounds a balaclava because it sounds baklava? like baklava. One of them is but that's a dessert. Not what that is one of oh. them. It's that's the thing like the little mask things that I've been wearing when we go. Oh, out. it's like the half face. I thought it was one with just the eyes and the mouth. Mm-hmm. That's just a ski mask. Huh. Anyway, that guy is there and he's huh. in shadow and he sets up like, oh, who is this guy? Spoiler alert. And they probably somebody, but it's never addressed. You can make assumptions and you can try to figure that out on your own. But it's never actually addressed. You said a thing, and I'm not because sure. Because it, it's almost like he's not even there with Leo. Because Mike and Bobby be look up and back. go, who is that? And Leo doesn't even turn and around and just like, says, ah! don't worry about it. <laughs> Leo just, don't worry about it. Um, this reminds me of something you said, and I'm not sure what this is based on. But you said something about how David Lynch likes to lay trails for him to use if he needs them, even if he never does. Well... I, is that a yeah. summation of what I mean? You said? And I think he did that a little bit in Twin Peaks for sure. And you know, you look at like Lost or people who were inspired by David Lynch. Sure. They absolutely do those things, yeah. especially in TV making when you don't know how long you're going to go. Mm-hmm. Let's drop this in here, and we we can if we can pull that back out later if we need to. Mm-hmm. But then it just got so separated by so many different people working on the project that it yeah just you lose a lot of those things. Yeah, I think it's a too bad. But it lended itself for, like, coming back 26 years later and having stuff to talk about. Sure. I just think that's one of those things that's kind of too bad for TV shows, and which is why I maybe think we should take a, a hint from the British a little bit more of, like... Set an ending. Set an... Even if you're not setting an ending, like, at least, like, if you're the showrunner or the writer or the creator, like, you should have your hands on this thing. An overall... Outline. Yeah. Instead yeah, of... For sure. Yeah, I don't know. and everyone claims they do, but who knows? Yeah, but I I saw an interview with him with David Lynch recently where he talked about like with his fingers wiggling all in the air all the time. Like, so you, you have this idea, and you and he talked about it when he was making in it, this is his process. He, he was talking specifically about when he made Inland Empire, how he's like, I had this idea, and so I went out and we shot it, and then I had this other idea, so we went out and we shot it, and but those two ideas didn't connect. There was no connection, and then I had this third idea, and we sh- and so we went and shot it. If but you none see of the finger work, Mikey's doing right now. But none of these things are specifically related to each other. But then I got other ideas of how to how these could connect to each other, and that's where the story comes in, and huh. that's where this becomes 
in entirety. This is where this becomes a world. So it wouldn't surprise me if it was like, I have an idea. I want to have this guy back here and he'll be creepy, but never found a connecting piece. So it just never got addressed. Well, and that makes sense because as I'm currently working on big air quotes and working on my my first novel, uh, and I've been talking to other people who are writers, and one of the main things is uh, that... When I think about writing, it's not that I have like an A to Z plot that I want to tell, or it's not like an arc that I want to tell. I have like a setting and characters that I like and a series of like anecdotes and stories that I want to tell. And I get all those down. I'm like, well, fuck me. I need like some sort of connective tissue. And granted, there's a lot less pressure on me because I'm a nobody writing a book on my laptop. But but I see how you run into... Like, if you're David Lynch and you have that kind of, like, sway of being... Because if every... Once in a while, I'll be like, oh, my God, I have an idea, and I write it down my little laptop. Mm-hmm. If I'm David Lynch, I write it down my laptop, and I'm like, okay, next week, we're going to go shoot this weird uh, thing. If you're and you're David like, Lynch, you probably pulled out a quill and scroll or some ridiculous <laughs> thing, but yeah. But he... I mean... And that's the thing is that David Lynch, as most of the world knows him, is a filmmaker. David Lynch is not a filmmaker. David Lynch is an artist, mm-hmm. which is why he has genuine problems with um, Dune, which was very studio driven. Mm-hmm. He's got pro- which he directed the original Dune with the latter season of Twin Peaks, the latter episodes especially of Twin Peaks. Like he wasn't involved enough. And as an artist, what the fuck is that? It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, and we say artist in this general term, but like if you picture a paint, a, a painter who like paints most of a picture and then someone comes in and be like, yeah, but I'm going to add this house right, right here. Right. Isn't this great? And I'll be like, no, what the fuck is that? That has nothing to do with what I was trying to make. And but Lynch I, very much needs creative control because he's. But the flip side of that is, and this is my favorite example for forever is a George Lucas type who with no restrictions and no input from the mm-hmm. studio made a pile of garbage so but like we, we've had this discussion I know. on the air I don't remember if it was this now or, or the other podcast, bonus podcast but I talked about the difference is George Lucas is not an artist oh yeah he's a tech guy George, maybe that was this George Lucas is a is a is a tech he's a He's into the construction of mm-hmm. film. He's not an artist. I don't see him that way anyway. Um, so going back, we've got Bobby and Mike in the woods with Leo. Uh, there's a masked, unnamed man. Uh, they discuss the money situation, and Leo states a suspicion that Shelly is cheating on him. Calls her his old lady, LOL. Um, he tells them to, quote, go out for a pass and throws a football into the hood of the car Bobby and Mike took through the woods. There is a good sequence in that back and forth that I really like, too. And he's like, yeah, my old lady's been, you know, what, do you know what's a problem is when you go out on the road and you're out and you, find, you come back and you find out your old lady's stepping out on you. Mm-hmm. And Bobby's looking at him going, oh, do you know who it is? Well, I just find I, it's a problem that I, do you, do you know who it is? Like, meanwhile, trying to be like because it's pretending it, it, to be sympathetic, but like, oh fuck, are you fucking with me right now? Do right. you know it's me? Yeah, and you're just fucking torturing me, or do you not know? And I just need to be more careful. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's a really good back like the the, the back to back delivery of Bobby's lines of Dana Ashbrook, who's the actor who plays Bobby, does of like, oh, do you know who it is? And then. And then Leo starts saying something else, and he cuts him off to go. But, but 
you know who it is? Like, oh, like, like, just the sheer panic while yeah. he's trying to play it cool uh-huh. is fantastic. Um, he tell uh, he being Leo. Tell- also, is the flashlight usage. Mm-hmm. David Lynch's use of flashlights in these scenes, where it's just these solid beams and everything else is fucking black. Mm-hmm. I love it. Love it. Um. Leo tells them to quote go up for a pass and throws the football under the hood of the car Bobby and Mike took to the woods Bobby and Mike oh yeah that's the other guy I forgot who Mike was <laughs> while reading a paragraph um all right with greasy hands big Ed goes into his home as Nadine exercises so Ed is owns Ed's gas farm which is it never occurred to me until last time we talked is a gas farm a thing no are you sure? Not that I'm aware of. I, it's definitely not a thing in the Midwest. Um, no, it's not a thing as far as I know. Mm, yeah, I don't know. And if you look up I gas farm, so. you probably just get a bunch of images. Big Ed's gas Peaks, farm yeah. is Twin Peaks service station. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, right, you know, sometimes it's like a cultural thing sure. that we don't have here. Um so Ed, so Big Ed and Nadine are married. Nadine is the redhead with an eye patch. Mm-hmm. Big Ed is Wendy Roby. Yep, Big Ed is her husband, who Edward is also. McGill. You might know them as the crazy couple from People Under the Stairs. Well, yeah, which we just watched the first yeah. time. That was great. Oh, hey guys, if you need more Mikey and Jess in your life, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, I co-host another podcast called The Friendly Atheist Podcast, and um, if you go on to Patreon, pay three dollars a month. Mikey, through this entire quarantine, have been watching movies about people getting trapped together and talking about it. There's usually a lot more booze involved than there is for these because this is our professional work now. And the other thing is just dumb. But anyway. Yep. Um, but we we did people under stairs for that. That's why I brought it up. Uh, so Ed is James' uncle. Correct. Slash primary caregiver when his mom or dad is. Yeah. I guess he's an adult. There was supposed to be more with James's mom who never actually makes an appearance. Oh, interesting. But there was at least one episode where she was supposed to have been in and got cut. Oh, um, and it turns into a, a brief bit of dialogue later. They talk about kind of where she is, but she's his dad. I think is dead, and his mom is just gone, essentially. Um, but yes, he's and then Ed more is or less the caregiver. Yeah. And then Ed is having an affair with um, oh, cunts. What's her name? Norma. Norma, who owns the uh, Double R Double R Diner. <laughs> wow, Mikey. <laughs> I <laughs> needed your help on that one. Um, so Ed, so his marriage with Nadine is deeply unhappy. So he goes it's, home. He, it's interesting. I don't know that it's that unhappy. She, Lynch it's, paints her as a nightmare person to live with. Like in, in the in the sense that like she seems to be mentally ill on some level because she's obsessive. Yeah, and irrational. But. But there's prone to fit. So there's like also a, a an idea I think that's driven a little bit that she wasn't always like that, and I think she's kind of spiraled into this difficult place. Mm-hmm. And Ed is never Ed never confronts her on it. Well, and, and they is- never like maybe she's gotten mentally ill, but isn't seeking help. Mm-hmm. Which is the 90s that traps. Yeah, but Ed is just... 
Very loyal. Very yeah, very loyal and supportive in a way. Like mm-hmm. his, but his way of you know what you know, I'm gonna be supportive, but also I'm gonna get my needs fulfilled elsewhere. Yeah, but I, I mean, I would argue that it what he is doing. I, I like Big Ed as a character. Mm-hmm. I would argue that what he's doing is just as damaging as just leaving her because he is not being a good supportive partner he's cheating on her consistently there's very little resolution for a lot of things Mm -hmm. in twin peaks just storylines in general um the resolution of the the big ed norma nadine story so good in season three yeah you had to wait till season three 27 years in the making is oh, is it good though? Some of the best television ever made. Oh, is it good? I absolutely yeah. love it. Yeah, far be it for me to tell you you need to watch another thirty-six hours of television to get to that. But it's do it though. Very it's, good. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> um. So anyway, Big Ed rides home. His hands are greasy because uh, he works at a gas farm, farming gas. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's like cows that their udders? I think you made that joke last time. Did I? Yeah. That's- Funny last time, funny this time. I'm just used to doing multiple shows a night, you know, Mikey? So I just have to, like, keep it. Okay, with greasy hands, Ed goes in his home as Nadine exercises. She's using one of those rowing guys. Mm -hmm. Um, He accidentally trips on one of her drape runners. Oh, let's not forget. Nadine is creating completely quiet drape runners. Well, but you you don't technically know that. Oh, I thought that's what she said in the pilot. She just... Because she yells cotton balls. She yells cotton balls, but doesn't explain why. I think right? you're wrong. I don't think she says she's looking for quiet drape runners. I think she's just... Oh. Maybe. Maybe. I don't I don't remember, to be honest. Uh, he accidentally trips on one of her drape runners, upsetting her to the point where she bends her exercise ma- machine, which is a little mm-hmm. foreshadowing of arguably the worst plot in... Ooh. Ooh, stiff competition no, for that it's, one. It's absolutely not the worst, but... Are you... Sh- it's bad i guarantee there's at least at least two if not three that are worse okay well, this is all gonna come up in season two i mean i can give you teasers don't but... don't 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 okay cooper has the twin peaks sheriff department set up a bottle 60 feet six inches away from lucy mikey what does 60 feet six inches mean it is the exact distance between the pitching rubber and home plate hot questions why but sheriff truman does not know um and then we flash back to shelly who turns off her television that is playing Invitation to Love, which is, I think, the first instance of it. Yes. Also, you don't ever see Invitation to Love outside of David Lynch. Directed episodes. Oh, interesting. Uh, I think, Can I talk a little bit I about think, Invitation to Love? I could be wrong. Or... Yeah, I mean, it's it's just... It's a it's a meta moment with... It. Like, so... I think I think Twin Peaks itself is meta, and then meta within meta is mm-hmm. everyone in town seems to be watching Invitation to Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might be wrong about the David Lynch thing now that I'm thinking about it, but I don't think it's in season two at all. Um, I don't remember. But anyway, everyone seems to be watching Invitation to Love. And as you start seeing more clips of Invitation to Love, it's like directly representative repre- of of the things that are happening in the town they just give it different character names and shit right and as mikey has noted a couple times that this show while it's science fictiony it's spooky it's funny it's scary it's a, it's soap. a soap opera and this show is a so and the and the it countering the t- the absurdity of what's happening in the town of twin peaks to 
the soap opera stuff and you realize you know the connection of how soap opera it it, it really is yeah and which explains why every character in this show is fucking somebody who isn't yeah and the way they talk all close up and a lot of close talking yeah things like that is very yeah um so shelly turns off her television that's so shelly as a reminder is the waitress who is married to leo um who is fucking bobby on the side but we like her and bobby better leo is a tool um, and abusive. I guess more importantly than him yeah, just being he's a dick a bag, he's raging, a monster. Awful human being. Yeah, <laughs> I sort of skimmed over that, huh? Yeah, like in the previous episode, he beat her he with beat her a bar of soap and a sock. Ooh. Yeah. Um, there's a knock on her door. She has. Um, it's Bobby. It's she, big bad Bobby. That's what he says. Does he say that? Yeah. He's hesitant to let him in, as she had clearly been beaten by no Lee. big bad Bobcat. Sorry. My fault. Oh yeah, that sounds more familiar. Big Bobcat. Oh. My fault. My Are you fault. Embarrassed. Do you want to start again? Woo. <laughs> that was close. <laughs> uh, I look like a total idiot. Yeah, yeah. Nobody would want you to be a dork in this podcast. Dorcas Malorcas. Um, she's hesitant to let Bobby inside because she's been clearly she's physically have been beaten by Leo. However, he gets inside and upon seeing her, he promises that he will kill Leo if he abuses her again. Um. Then Ed goes to the double, double art diner, orders a cup of coffee. From Norm- <laughs> With the best intro. Like, oh, yeah. I, he does this a few times. He he walks in, flings the door open, walk, takes two steps, plants both of his feet really hard and throws his hand up way in the air with like this giant smile on his it's face. Like he's with this, posing. This big old wave. But like, yeah, but it's also just like the contrast of being at the diner with Norma yeah. versus how he's just apprehensive and always walking on eggshells around mm-hmm. Nadine. Mm-hmm. And it's just, he's taken up space and and it's a pl- like the double or diner throughout the entire season really represents this absolute place of love. Hmm. Nothing bad ever happens in the double R. Is that true? It's this like safety. Uh, I mean, there's a few one-off things. Hank, who you don't even meet. There's a big fight sequence. Oh, yeah. There's a couple of who, yeah, you'll meet him, I think, in the next episode, if not the one after. I don't know. Um, there's there's a few things that happen that are kind of like that, but like... It's an overall positive ov- place. Overall, when, and, and, all, and all the stuff that does is later stuff, which mm-hmm. isn't as directly influenced by Mark Frost and or David Lynch, which... Are you have to take those episodes and that information with a grain of salt a little mm-hmm. bit, um, but yeah, it's it's really and true. Like, not only the double R is a space that represents that, and food in general is always positive. Yes. Um. So uh, he orders a cup of coffee from Norma, who's his his girlfriend, um, and tells her about his trouble with Nadine earlier. Uh, we cut back to. Maybe the more iconic Twin Peaks scenes of all time. Going back to uh, the Tibetan rock throwing. Yep. This is an amazing scene. Like, (laughs) this is the most David Lynch of all David Lynch things. So, actually, they don't, this summary I have only kind of does a quick paragraph on it. So, um, so let's just sort of talk through it so we've got yeah we've got cooper we've got lucy we've got hawk we've got harry truman um and andy and andy so um as a reminder cooper's our main character sheriff truman's the sheriff of the town 
Uh, Hawk is his number two. Mm-hmm. Hawk and, and Andy are both deputies. Um, Andy, Hawk is significantly more competent. Uh, yes. Andy is the wildest slash one of my favorite characters. Yeah, he's, he's a delight. Also, in, in person, pretty fucking weird, too. So, oh, yeah, all tracks. Yeah, yeah. And he is on again, off again with Lucy, who is another one of my favorite characters. And an absolute treasure. A doll. Kimmy Robertson. Oh, a doll. Kimmy Robertson is... We met her at Twin Peaks Fest, and she's nothing but the sweetest. Oh, my God. Could not be nicer. Um, So, anyway. (laughs) Anyway. um, So, he tells uh, Andy to set up that the milk jug, right? Not not even. Before you get to any of that, he says, By way of explaining what we're about to do, I am first going to tell you a little bit about the country called Tibet. An extremely spiritual country. For centuries, the leader of Tibet has been known as the Dalai Lama. In 1950, communist China invaded Tibet. And while leaving the Dalai Lama nominally in charge, they in fact seized control of the entire country. In 1959, after a Tibetan uprising against the Chinese, the Dalai Lama was forced to flee to India for his life and has lived in exile ever since. Following a dream I had three years ago, I have become deeply moved by the plight of the Tibetan people and filled with a desire to help them. I also awoke from the same dream, realizing that I had subconsciously gained knowledge of a deductive technique involving mind-body coordination operating hand-in-hand with the deepest level of intuition. But he says, I want to tell you about the country of Tibet, and then 1-1000, 2-1000, 3-1000, and then all four people who in one shot slowly lean forward to uh-huh. a knee, and like you just hear like the creaking of the chair, and uh-huh. it's like, okay, we're on board, <laughs> here we go. And they all lean forward. It's amazing. But then says, in a, so I, I had a dream. And in my dream. So I want to be clear. His whole history of Tibet. It's just because he had a dream that was sort of related to Tibet. That he had to throw some shit. Well, it's, it's about. How does he connect this? It's things? about transcendental meditation. Uh, which David Lynch is and and, and mind-body connection. Mm-hmm. So the theory is in his dream. I learned to infuse mind and body so that what I what he ends up doing is thinks about a name, puts his energy into the rock, throws the rock at a bottle 60 feet, six inches away. And if the bottle is struck, that means something. If he misses, that means something mm-hmm. because his energy was put into that thought. So his mind was connected to his physical body. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the, the concept. So... Hawk is holding a bucket of rocks for him to use with oven, with oven mitts because he doesn't want to get his energy. Oh, is that why? On it, it's got to be entirely Cooper's energy. <laughs> um, and they go through a list of all of the J characters that we've met, which is a really good uh, vehicle for just doing a quick. Because as it so happens, there's a lot of J characters well, that, <laughs> in this show. That and what this does too, and this is a time when television. Boom, the the pilot aired. People watched the first episode. And now it's becoming a craze. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. I I miss this. I miss the pilot. I want to jump in. but can't. And and this refreshes everybody about who all these characters are. You will recall on the day of her death, Laura Palmer wrote the following entry in her diary. Nervous about meeting Jay tonight. Today, we're going to concentrate on the Jays. Harry, when I give the word... Would you please read aloud each of the names I've written on the blackboard? Okie doke. Deputy Hawk, stand over here and hold this bucket of rocks up near me where I can get to them. 
Would you please put on the kitchen mittens? Deputy Andy, move down, stand by the bottle. Lucy, take this piece of chalk. Not too near, Andy. Oh, I'm getting excited. And if I should strike the bottle after Sheriff Truman says a particular name, make a check to the right of that name. Oh, Sheriff, I almost forgot. When you say the name, also briefly state that person's relationship to Laura Palmer. Cool. Tell me. The idea for all this really came from a dream? Yes, it did. Jack with one eye. Maybe it's the letter I, but there's no I in Jack. I think perhaps it means he only had one eye, Lucy. Sounds like uh, Nadine, Big Ed Hurley's wife. No, no, no. There's a casino up north called One-Eyed Jack's across the border on the Canadian side. That's it. We're going to have to go up there and check that place out. Okay. Agent Cooper, I'm going to erase this because it's a, a place and not a person. Actually, maybe the person could be in the place. So should I erase it? Yes. Yes, a person could be in a place, or yes, I should Lucy. erase it. Erase it, Lucy. Next name, Harry. So he misses, 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 and so we're going through. Yeah, and it's so you know it's it's Josie James. Packard. He misses James. James. He misses Norma Jennings. Misses wildly. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, no, she's. Norma's the one who he misses pretty wildly, but it comes up really short in the dirt. Mm-hmm. One of them. Is it Josie? No. No, Josie it's was further was off. hits the stump next to it. Um, Regardless, let's not get too bogged down. Um, Dr. But, Jacoby, he hits the stump next to it. There was one name that was like. I thought Jacoby is he hit it, but it didn't break. Was it Shelly Johnson? Oh, maybe. That might be it. One of them. One of them he misses wildly, and it was like, yeah, because this person is not fucking a suspect right. at all. Um, so he, when he says the name Leo Johnson, he hits the the milk. Jug. Well, we are. We also set it up to one of the names on the list is Jack with one eye. Yes, and that's when he says Jack with one eye. Oh, what is that? I don't know why you. Oh, I got it. Oh, could this be whatever? And then. Harry Truman says, oh, no, there's a north of the border. There's a casino called One-Eyed Jacks. And he says, make a note of that, Lucy. We got to go check that out. I wrote this down because this is a mo- this is when you were asking what I was writing about. Because this is a moment that just Cooper has infinite patience. Oh, yeah. Cooper is nonplussed by anything mm-hmm. Lucy. She could talk for years. And he's like, this is what I... And he's not like coddling her. He's like, I want you to erase it. Like, mm-hmm. he's just very like, I hear all the words you're saying to me. And I and want you to erase it. Going to give you your directions precisely. Yeah. Um, which is just. And you get a, so when he reads Leo Johnson, he throws it, hits the bottle, it breaks. This is a fantastic shot. It's over his shoulder. He does it. You see him like this isn't edited at all. Like oh wait really the last shot like, and from what I I don't remember where I heard it and or read it, but from what I understood. This was the first shot of the day. His first attempt, like he just threw a bunch of rocks at it and whatever yeah. takes we got, we got. Um, there's one that bounces off a tree and hits Andy and that's obviously planned yeah. and stuff to make a bit. But like on all the wide shots, he throws it and we're going to use them or not use them depending. And I think the first shot of the day, he hit it square and it shattered. <laughs> um, that's fun. 
And so they use that shot. It's behind his shoulder. So you see the entire trajectory of the rock and it hits the bottle and it's fantastic. Um, um, sidebar, when we're in uh, uh, at Twin Peaks Fest, they mm-hmm. did a whole thing that we that played was, that game. Basically. That was one of the contests was they set up a bottle 60 feet, six inches, and you just go through the line and first person to break it wins prizes. And you keep moving up as the line yeah, goes and through. it's just Because I don't want to shock you, but the people who go to Twin Peaks Fest yeah. are not and seasoned athletes. And it's incredibly and guess what? hard. 60 feet, six inches is extremely to far away. To a bottle? Like, yeah. that's hard. And I it's mean, rocks, it's irregular. Yeah, it's and you got to make sure it's heavy enough to not just hit it, you have to hit it with force enough to break it. Yeah, it was a um, So thing. yeah, you keep moving. And I think, the person who finally got it was like 25 feet away, if that. Yeah. Um, and uh, a, an actor from the third season, Christoph. Christoph Zajek Denik plays like um, the spike. He kind of cut in line in front of me and Mikey. So we we're bullshit. This took an hour, oh, hour and a half. Oh, absolutely. Took a long time. And so he and he like cut in line he in front of us. He was talking mad shit. That's he great. was a joy. He talked so much shit about yours truly, specifically. Yeah. Even though I have a very good arm, and I don't think he appreciate. I did tell him a lot about my recreational softball activity, mm-hmm. and he didn't seem as impressed. No, which is too bad. He, uh, I'll plug it real quick. He's got a great podcast too. Oh, does he? Uh, it's called uh, "I'm Kind of a Big Deal." He's a little person, mm-hmm. um, so he has any interview. Do you think he wants to be on this? Uh, no, <laughs> but he has a podcast called it's, "I'm Kind of a Big Deal," and it's about we're uh, like working actors in little people working in film. Oh, that's cool. cool. Oh, that's cool. Um, okay, so so he ends up shattering it when they say... Leo. Leo. And then Lawrence Jacoby, he hits it and it, and it bounces off. So those are two yeah. primary suspects, I guess. Well, it's... In, that's in the thing is weird... they don't even really tell you what it means. Yeah. You just assume... Like, <laughs> like when he hits it for Jacoby... Lucy gets so excited. And, you cause, did it! Cause, yeah, because they don't know, like, no one really knows what's happening, so they're just getting excited with what they think means yeah. something. A thing happened. And, like, this is the part I was talking about where Truman pulls him aside for him, and he's like, you really got all this from a dream? And it's like, that he's you talking to David Lynch, like, this is, you really just came out with this? Yeah. Like, like and it's just a great meta moment, I think. Uh, and then we go back to the double R, double R diner um, where Audrey walks in, sits at the counter. She gets a cup of coffee. Donna walks over, who's there with her family, um, and she orders a cup of coffee and takes a sip of it. And Donna comes over. I don't know why. I think it's really charming because um, Audrey, who is oof, um, Ben Horn's daughter, mm-hmm. um, she was in that very first scene that we were talking about um, and Mikey's longtime crush. Mm-hmm. And then Donna, who is Laura Flynn Boyle, who I think it's the first time seeing her in this episode. She no, had, no, she, she had a conversation James, with James. Who was Laura's best friend. Turns out she's in love with Laura's boyfriend, but which is okay. because. But she was in love with Laura's secret boyfriend. Secret boyfriend, because she was dating Bobby in real life, but was secretly in love with James. But Laura was secret. Nope. Donna was secretly in really, love with James. Really, um, Laura has, it's like everyone in the town, like, Archie love Laura triangle. is a split personality. Mm-hmm. Not not in, like, multiple personality disorders split, but, like, Laura has an evil side and a, and a, and a light side mm-hmm. or whatever. And 
her two boyfriends or whatever are representative of the two parts of Donna. Mm-hmm. Bobby's the bad boy. James was the good guy. The yeah. guy who was trying to help her. And and it was, she was living this life with Bobby and reaching out to James for help mm-hmm. because, and, and James was trying to help her. But yeah, because she might be like. It just wasn't enough. Right. I mean, he talks about that in his interview with Cooper in the beginning about how like she came to me, she she was crying and I tried to help her, but I couldn't. She ran away mm-hmm. and I didn't know what to do. So Donna sits down and talks to her and she and Audrey says to Donna, do you drink coffee or do you like coffee? And Donna says, for some reason, the most wholesome thing in the world, like, yeah, with cream and sugar. And I don't know why. I just find that like endearing and wholesome because A, I drink my coffee with cream and sugar usually, but also it's just such like a 17, 18 year old girl thing to say of like, yeah, I like it. It's also noteworthy. I like Frappuccino. <laughs> in that later, Laura or Donna takes on a new character. To some extent. I don't remember that. Um, and becomes kind of a bad girl and starts drinking coffee black. Laura does? Sm- or, or Donna. Donna. Oh, Donna does. Takes on kind of Laura's persona. And she starts smoking. She starts like... drinking black coffee. Donna. She starts getting a little darker. Donna has no lasting impact on. Donna's like Mike for me. There's there's a lot of. And, and it's because David Lynch and Mark Frost were not involved enough. Mm. You get to later episodes and these characters become, they're contracted to a series. Sure. And they need to find something to do with them. So they just make up some shit. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't work for a lot of these people. Like Mike in particular, like just write him out. But Mm -hmm. he was contracted. So you couldn't. Um, And so uh, Audrey kind of talks about Agent Cooper saying that he likes his coffee black. She sort of implies that she's deeply in love with him, which who among us, if we're 18 year old girls, isn't it? 18 year old humans isn't in love with with Dale Cooper. Um, And then her, the Audrey theme start. God, I love this music. Isn't it too dreamy? Which is funny too. Interesting story about that. Um, she didn't get it. She didn't understand it. She said, go out there and start dancing. And Bablamenti, who was the composer, wrote the music to the dance. Really? So she started dancing, and that's what Angela Bablamenti used to write the song. They didn't have a song. Bablamenti is a wild like he and, and Lynch are truly soulmates, like creatively speaking. There's a great video if you ever want a look it up. It's it's on YouTube. I don't know exactly how to search for it, but it's um, David Lynch teaching or David Lynch and Adela, Angelo Badalamenti composing Laura Palmer's theme, which is the main title theme to mm-hmm. the story, and it's basically just. Angelo writing kind of the okay he's and just it, playing and he's yeah he's, he's just kind of jamming on a, on a piano and Lynch is like and now and now we're in the forest and, and and now and now there's and now it's dark but now there's hope now there's hope and he's just saying this stuff and he's just winging it mm-hmm. and then Battle of Menti's like oh okay I can work with it he's like no that was it you that was <laughs> that was the song that's we're using that like he was like okay and so the song he just like one take, just mm-hmm. put it all out there. It was great. Um, 
And so she says about the music, isn't it just too dreamy? And, the whole... And the then, music in this entire... Oh, my God. So that's good. another great meta moment of... The music in this whole series is just wonderful. And it's very ethereal. Yeah. And very, like, otherworldly. But in the dance that Audrey does is so... Like, I don't know how much direction she got, but it's just... It's not... She's not dancing in a traditional she's way. Just she's just floating. She, that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. She's floating like... It's like she's weightless. And, and I haven't ever seen it. I haven't heard what Lynch says, but that's the kind of direction he gets. You're floating. Mm-hmm. You're free. Mm-hmm. Just the wind is blowing through. Like, that's the kind of stuff he says. Yeah. And so that's what you get. Okay, we're over an hour, so we're going to... Oh, we have a lot to cover. Here we go. Cooper and Truman examine a bloody... Oh, bre- yeah. Are we limited to an hour? Um, I'm supposed to... Because we get... Uh, the whole dream sequence could be an hour. Yeah, I'll just text... Amanda and Lance, I'm going to be a little bit late for Oh, I didn't know you had a thing. I'm sorry. I, it just came up when I was watching. It's okay, Michael. Okay. I can move my appointment to watch a bad show via Skype with my two best friends pretty easily. Can you, though? Uh-huh. Uh, Cooper and Truman examine a bloodied rag found near the crime scene as Agent Albert... Uh, is it Rosenfeld? Oh, yes. Not Rosenfield? Rosenfeld? Or is it's, it one of those things that nobody says it the same? It's Rosenfield, but it's said Rosenfeld. It's like Han. From time to time. And Leah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh. Han. Lando. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, also, he comes in. Comes in hot. Comes in hot. Talks to Lucy very rudely while Lucy is reading a book on Tibet. Oh. Did you notice that? No, that's wholesome. Like, it's it's just, they don't mention it, but, like, what she's doing is reading a book, and when she closes it and pushes it to the side, it's just a book about Tibet, <laughs> which is just such a great little moment. Yeah, that's moment. adorable. Yeah. Um, immediately, there's friction between Rosenfeld and Truman due to the former's dissatisfaction with the Field. small... Rosenfield? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Rosenfield and Truman due to the former's satisfaction with the small town's investigation abilities. Okay, I will say... There's a lot about Albert that I like. I think he's very... I love the actor. I think he's very funny. I think he brings... Miguel Ferrer. So good. George Clooney's cousin? Oh, really? Something like that. That was a true loss, like, when he, when it's, he died. Yeah. That was... That I'm, was... But I'm really, really glad that he was... Because he died before the show, third season, came out. Yeah. But he filmed his entire... Yeah. Se- season... Parts um, in, in that season. And I do like the character... And I like the arc he takes. And I, I like, I think I like the things I think I like the actor. The character is such a dick. Like, why does he have to be a dick, Michael? It Because he's opposite Cooper. He's mm. the duality of Cooper. Like, and you watch him. He comes in and he's bad mouthing it. Like, watch Cooper in any of those scenes. Mm-hmm. He's sitting there. He's like, this back ass, backwards ass town. I come in here. This is, this is going to be an all nighter, boys. And Cooper's just standing there with this shit eating grin on his he face. Does. <laughs> he loves Every second of this. And it's bec- it's one of the, like, maybe it's just because The Last Dance is really popular right now, the, the Bulls documentary. Albert is very much a Michael Jordan. He's all fucking business, and he's going to get shit done, and he's going to do it really, really well. I don't care if I'm an asshole, and people kind of love him for that. He's mm-hmm. He can be redeemed. He's a, he's a good character because because not only is he really good at what he's doing, He's good at what he's doing, and he's legitimately looking to get justice. Mm-hmm. He's an asshole for, like, it's a it's a shitty ends justify the means, whatever, because, but he's looking to put, to, 
to catch serial murderers and rapists and things like that. And he's like, I'm going, I don't care if I'm an asshole right now. Yeah. I'm doing this to help but, you. But I don't think his, a lot of his dialogue stands up to that because like one of the first things I mean aside from like being rude to Lucy which how very dare but one of the things is like we wasted half the board and driving to this godforsaken piece of nowhere or whatever he says and it's like well that's not criticizing a small town's police force or their resources it's just being an asshole it harkens back to kind of what Cooper was saying about the clash of Big city, yeah, FBI, FBI, and small town. And then when Truman stands up to him and says, like, so he Truman pulls him aside and says, I I hear you're really good at what you do. And he's like, that's right. And he's like, well, that's good because if any if anybody else ever came in here talking the kind of crap that you're just talking, they'd be finding their teeth two blocks up on Queer Street, which oh, is... yeah. It breaks my heart because it's an incredible moment with just a bad line of dial. Like, Touching down. It's, well, in it at the time wasn't seen that, you know what I mean? But oh, God, like, it was just like when I was in junior high and everything bad was gay. Like, exactly. It was and that's exactly what it is. But if and that, it doesn't make it right. It, you just have to contextualize it a little bit. If all, I mean, if he had said if it two blocks up on Jerk Street or something, and I mean, but like any other more or just, it's such a great moment for Truman, mm-hmm. who's been sitting shotgun for mm-hmm. everything so far, to stand up and be like, I still own this. Like, yeah, I'm letting Cooper do all this stuff because he's good and he's right. nice. I, I'm, I'm still in charge here, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a great moment for Truman. It's just a shame it had to be. Have a slur in it. You know, exactly. Um, By the way, I just realized we skipped over um, one of the most iconic lines in Twin Peaks, which happens at the beginning of the the Tibetan rock-throwing scene. Damn good coffee. And hot. Is when... Oh. Yeah. Damn fine coffee. And hot. And it's it's a great moment because... What's her face uh, pours out? What's her name? Lucy mm-hmm. pours coffee out for everybody. Trooper takes a sip and does Trooper. a f- <laughs> Cooper. I, that's it. Trooper is what a lot of people refer to as the Truman Cooper bromance. Love that. Yeah. That's what I meant. Uh, but Cooper. Does well, a- they also anybody want to war- top off or a warm up, and everyone's like, oh, like <laughs> clamoring, like yes, absolutely, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. I think one of the great ironies of Michael's life is that uh, he loves Twin Peaks and. Hates it coffee. Legitimately breaks my heart. Hates it coffee. It breaks my heart. It's just and so just to peek into our lives, every morning he drinks a Red Bull. Not every like, morning, but yeah. Most mornings he drinks a Red Bull like he's a college freshman. It's unfathomable to me how he does that. I wanna I wanna like coffee. I can't do it. Yeah. Well I thought you wanted to tea for a little while. I did I did once in a while. <laughs> just takes too long. Um Okay, so um Immediately, there's friction between Rosenfeld and Truman due to the former's deception. So, so, so. so Ed returns, another scene. Ed returns home and is overjoyed when Nadine tells him that he'd gotten grease on her cotton balls, creating the silent drape runner she'd been trying to achieve. See, she had been working on the. Well, I know, but I thought that's when you found that out. Cotton anyway. balls um, at the Blue Point Lodge. Wow, I don't even remember this scene. Um, Blue Pine Lodge. What did I say? Blue Point. I think. I've heard it both ways. Um, 
<laughs> Spencer. Uh, Pete and Catherine discuss Agent Cooper's presence at their home earlier in the day. When Catherine is briefly away, Pete slips to Josie a key to the safe containing the Mills ledger. Josie gets into the safe and finds there was two ledger books. Hey, guess what? I don't remember that scene. Yeah, at it's all. great. And then uh, Pete's on his bed, like shining his boots, and she's like, "Get off the bed and go to your own room." Or whatever, oh, and you're I like, that. and he's like, I didn't want to get mink oil on my bedspread, <laughs> like, which is such a great oh, like. Mikey's whatever, love but I, I think for it's Pete. I think it's never funny ending. that that Pete and Catherine have different bedrooms. It sounds like the dream to me. Yeah, well. <laughs> Just kidding. I love spending every night with you, Michael. Mm-hmm. Neither of us snores. Um, a distress. Okay, so here's a rough scene. Um, fuck. What's his name? Who plays Leland? Ray Wise. Ray Wise. Yeah. Ray Wise is a gift Ugh. to the world. So good. We do not deserve him. Everything he does is wonderful. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, so a distressed Leland. So Leland is Laura Palmer, who's our main person who died. Her father. Um, and he... This Is is this the first time we kind of show his breaking, or had they shown it before? I mean, they show him when he finds out, and like... But the first time he's like unsettled like he's reacting at, at home uncomfortably. at home okay um so god the thing <sighs> so he puts on a record puts on a record uh, pennsylvania six five thousand which is tommy dorsey oh tommy i have dorsey? no idea i was I just gonna tommy say dorsey. like a really odd choice for what he then does well i feel like it's the kind of it makes sense i think like it's the type of thing are you one of those people if you're in a Are you mood, asking me actually personally? Yeah, uh, well, okay. or maybe if, if you want to answer or whatever or anybody. Are you one of those people who when you're angry, you try to listen to something poppy and mindless and try to get your mind off of it? Or do you want to fuel that rage oh. and listen to violent, angry music? Yeah, I lean into it. Or if you're mood. sad, do you want to listen to more sad stuff? Or do you want to try to cheer that up? Or if you're in a really good mood, do you want to like listen to something dark and depressing um, or like like I I can't listen to Elliot Smith if I'm in a good mood I'm like that's just gonna fucking bring me down I don't want that no I definitely lean into all of my emotions um, yeah but I think in this case it's one of those scenarios where like I I it's, it's something get me out of this something to break see, me out I of this it, that's how I took it I read it more as if you've ever I don't know been a teenage girl and had some emotions and you didn't want your parents to know you're crying loudly in your room and you just turn up some music really loud of yeah. just like he doesn't want his wife to know that he is about to like scream cry at his daughter's but it also picture. gets into a point of from here on out he's kind of constantly dancing yes he's Oof. he's always Leland listening Palmer's to music also i find it interesting a little bit like we turn t- the ac yeah huh. i i find it interesting that um the he found out about Laura through the telephone. There's a lot of difficult information oh, yeah. that's passed through the telephone, and he's listening to Pennsylvania 65000, which is mm-hmm. a phone number. Right. And I, f- I think there's something loosely is yeah. there listening. You know, like an anti-technology thing? Like is A it- little bit. Okay. Like it's, I don't know. Um, so Leland puts on the record, picks up a photo of Laura, which is the famous prom queen photo that. Homecoming. Yeah. Homecoming queen photo. <laughs> wow, Mikey, you really made me look like an asshole Boom, in front roasted. of all of our listeners. 
Um, and he holds it out at arm's length and turns around in circles, scream crying in this horrible way. It's, it's it just oh, it cuts in your soul. And it's and it's it's he's doing that, and then he's pulling Sarah, his wife, in. His with wife like, comes dance in. with me. You yeah. have to dance with us, and it's just she's. Her reaction is so different than his, and she's like, "What are you doing? You're insane!" and like freaking out at him. And it's just the two of them. The way they clash with each other is just like they grieve oh in such God. deeply different it ways. Hurts which so honestly, bad. I I'm curious if David Lynch has any uh, a past of like losing a sibling or or losing somebody because they talk they I, I read a lot of like true crime and things like that and for a lot of people if they lose a child in some way that's sort of that often is breaking up their marriage and I it just made this kind of made me think of that of like they are both grieving in such earnest but such different ways that they don't really have room for each other Mm -hmm. they I know he moved around a lot he never really had a home Mm -hmm. he was like moved every couple of years I don't recall and I'm I'm surprised that I wouldn't recall if if it were the case but I don't recall like a Mm -hmm. sibling dying or anything like that I do know one story he's referenced a lot though was he he was out playing one day and outside in the middle of the day a fully nude woman covered in blood like walked up when he was a child like looking for help what and that uh later got worked into the ending of blue velvet which is an incredible sequence um but that is one of his first memories that stuck with him and he's written a lot based on that because he was in like small town suburbia i don't know if this was when he was in missoula or whatever but when he was a child um, that was a thing that happened to him and he's written similar or things like that a lot. Yeah, I've never, I don't think, there's another striking scene, this is from a Guardian article from 2018. One night, Lynch writes, he encountered a beautiful naked woman walking down the street, bruised and, and, tra- and traumatized. It was so, inc- quote, it was so incredible. It seemed to me that her skin was the color of milk and she had a bloodied mouth. He was too young or too transfixed to find out who she was before she vanished. Fuck. Yeah, but like, that's what fucking Ronette looks like crossing the bridge. Mm-hmm. That's the scene in Blue Velvet. That's that's shit that happens all throughout Lynch's work. Right. Like, clearly that is a moment that has stuck, stuck with, with him, him and as well it should have. Like, that's, that's a fucking wild ass story. Um, So Leland is dancing and spinning around with with his daughter, his late daughter's photograph. Um, Sarah comes in screaming. Um, She tries to take the picture from him and they end up breaking the frame. Um, Leland cuts his hand and he just like smears his bloody hand all over her picture. It's uh, awful. But not not in a smearing in a way that's like he's just trying to touch her. her. Yeah. Yes, you're right. That's it. Yeah. But he just happens to be. I, I. I had looked this up again later because I wanted to find out. I had thought I heard or read, and I, that's that's. I apologize for those people who've done tremendous amounts of research and 
have written articles or books or have interviewed people and have done podcasts and all these things and have done all the work to find out information this information because I don't remember where I got fucking any of it. Yeah. But you I just started sort of a sponge. Right. You sort of just absorb it. Thought I remember hearing or seeing or reading or whatever that he actually cut his hand. And then he just kept going with it. And that blood is actually Ray Wise's blood. But I tried looking it up again later and I couldn't find that where I couldn't find where I heard that. So that may or may not be mm, Ray it. Wise's real blood. Hold on, let me find it. Cut. Um, okay, so this is from a uh, Fan Expo 2014 interview uh, by Screen Anarchy, fighting the good fight, boys. Um, of all the directions you get, was, was there a piece of direction that... It, okay, so this is asking about Lynch's direction. Uh, so Ray Wise talks. Um, oh, God, there's many moments. But I think the one I remember the most is the scene where I'm in the living room of the Palmer house and I'm going to play. So this is Ray Wise being interviewed? Yes. Okay. And I'm going to play a song in the phonograph. The music plays. I pick up my daughter Laura's graduation picture from the table. It's her homecoming picture. Ray Wise. Even I know that. <laughs> from the table there, I start dancing around with it. And then I start crying. My wife comes in and wants to know what the hell is the matter with me. She tries to pull the picture out of my hand. We fight over the picture and it breaks over the coffee table. I actually did cut my hand on the glass of that picture and smeared real blood on poor Laura's face. Boom. I knew I had heard it. Thank you. Wow. That's wild. Um, but the thing... It, and it looks incredible. To continue. But the thing I... That does explain why that blood looks like blood instead of like red paint. <laughs> Like mm-hmm. orange red paint. Mm-hmm. The thing I did, the thing that I remember about David is that he said, Ray, now, I don't do a good impression. Ray, now, just before we start the scene, I want you to pick up that needle of the phonograph. I want you to drop it right there in the middle of the song and then let it go from there. And I dropped it right in the middle of the song and it was all written on the page, but that song just brought everything to life. And to me, that pretty much solidified in my mind the talent that David has of just saying the right thing. Cool. Mm. Yeah. That's fun. Um, okay, so... And then we go to... I, I feel like I've said one of the most iconic X, but this episode is I just chock full. I mean, the first season, the first four or five episodes in particular... Basically, I always call this episode the breaking point. Do you always call it that? No, yes. I mean, it, like, if you're, if you're wanting to watch Twin Peaks, you watch up and through this episode, and if you're intrigued, keep going. If not, this is the episode that says, get the fuck out. Yeah. This isn't for you. Yeah. Like, if, you, if you're if you not into it yet, right. you probably won't be. Yeah, because this show is deeply not for everybody. Oh, for sure. And I think... And specifically the last five, six minutes of this scene, right. of this episode. And, and I think it's interesting, because I actually longer. have a couple friends, my friend Alyssa and her girlfriend Crystal, for example, um, they know that we like Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. And she and Crystal tried to like start watch the first season and she was like I'm so sorry I gave up after like three episodes I was like yeah. oh I don't care like and I I barely like it and I not that I barely like it I like it because of the conversations I get to have with you sure. about it and the conversations and it I, brings I out. wish I wish I knew more people who liked it mm-hmm. so I can like have real conversations instead of like internet conversations which just aren't the yeah. same thing and it's people who are kind of trying to one up you a lot uh-huh. and things like that which is the ideal hope for this for this podcast Mm -hmm. is for people like that who are like oh I want to try it I know people who like it people always talk about it and can't quite get into it Mm -hmm. 
maybe ha- hearing people talk about these things about like what the fuck was this thing oh yeah he can explain this she can explain this these are on purpose because this and they kind of make sense in the greater picture because this mm-hmm. and to help try to get some context and i i've brought it up before i was a lit major and so this is very near and dear to me of like consuming some sort of media and then sitting down and talking about it and to me that's like peak appreciating sure, something sure um but i also oh i changed my date to 9 30 instead of 9 so don't worry michael we have a plenty of time to oh you were just looking at the i thought you were looking at the clock and i thought you were really no, concerned about my date with took a deep breath Amanda. and i didn't want to breathe really heavy into the microphone <laughs> um i just finished a <laughs> talking about other things that are happening to you later tonight are not professionalism have you done that before i feel like i have deja vu right now have you made fun of me for being unprofessional on this podcast before i don't know probably um, but I just finished I, Podius, which is um, John Hodgman and Elliot Kalin watching I, Claudius, which is a 1970s BBC miniseries. And it's 12 episodes long. And it's British as fuck. <laughs> and I watched an episode. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And I listened to them. And I, it made me enjoy the mm-hmm. show more and look forward to more and like digest it in a better way instead of just... And also it prevented me from... Um, 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 like mainlining it you know what i mean mm-hmm. like watching episode after episode so like i got some breathing room between it so like i genuinely hope that people use this as a as a kind of step ladder to get onto. I, yeah that's that's the idea and if and honestly like i'd be happy to answer questions for what i from what i can yeah, you can email if, us at if anyone cooper duper pod at gmail.com yeah we don't have anything going on sure i mean and i don't i mean i'm not an expert by any means mm-hmm. i'm just a fan but like I can give you my theory or other people's theories or mm-hmm. things like, cause I know that's my favorite thing is that like so many people have so many theories about the show and mm-hmm. things like that. And many of them are in direct contrast with each other. And I love both theories. Mm-hmm. Like that's to me, the beauty of this show. Yeah. I think a lot of people in the same way I, I mentioned, I really like true crime. A lot of people really like unsolved mysteries mm-hmm. because it gives you infinite space to talk about like what could have happened because we don't know that's why david lynch talks about that he doesn't like discussing his works after they're out Mm -hmm. oh tell the eraser head story uh one famously one of his best quotes of all time is in an early interview after he made eraser head which is his first feature film also very very out there very abstract um he the interviewer said you described Eraserhead as quote a dream of dark and disturbing things elaborate on that I thought would you like to elaborate? would you elaborate on that no and that's like <laughs> just interview gold right there yeah. like so good yeah all right so okay well, let's try to blaze through this because I don't think we need a two-hour podcast on I mean, if if there's going to be a two-hour episode, this is the one. This, to me, is quintessential Twin Peaks. I love this episode. So, uh, Cooper goes to bed, which is another place where I saw the deer Mm -hmm. hands. So, did we get everything up until then? Uh, I read through the uh, summary. So, in in case you want to have some words with TwinPeaksWiki.Fandom.Com. 
So this is yeah. We shift gears here into this is the last what is five minutes of this very 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 Twin Peaks. Yes, and I, this is where the mythology comes in, and this is what if you were listening to the pilot episode, what I talked about when there's that international ending. Um, oh, this was a in... lot of this footage, all the red room stuff, all the Mike talking stuff, mm-hmm. and all the Bob talking stuff mm-hmm. is the ending to what was the international ending for the pilot from the from the pilot episode where he had to make an ending so that they could release it as a film mm-hmm. if the show didn't get picked up and so on. And so this is the only summary I have of the Red Room. It's just one paragraph, so I'm going to kind of lean on you to, to guide us through. But um, Cooper goes to bed, and he starts dreaming, um, and he first sees the one-eyed man who... Um, who and you, calls himself Mike. Yeah, and there's there's an electrical field thing that's happening. Like, it's as though... Oh, there's a lot of flashes. Yeah, it's as though it's not just a dream. It's... It's very it's metaphysical movie-esque. In that, really and truly, he's being transported into a different world. Mm-hmm. Or, more specifically, a place in between worlds. Mm-hmm. So you see flashes of Laura Palmer's face as she's dead, like just flashes here and there between like kind of lightning strikes, I guess. Um, So he sees Mike, the one-armed man who um, talks about a tattoo that he had on his left shoulder. Left arm, yeah. Um, Him and him and Bob both had a tattoo. Uh He Bob was his partner in crime. They is Bob always capitalized B O B on caps? I think so. He's often referred to as Killer Bob a lot too. Oh. Um, related to Killer Mike from the right, exactly. ICP. Exactly. Um, and he said he they used to they used to kill together. Him and Bob they had matching tattoos essentially, and until he saw the 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 he says the ways of God, but I don't think he's talking about capital G a God? Christian God. Yeah. Um, and he. He says, "I lop the whole thing off." Yeah, and the and the actor who plays uh, Mike, whose name is uh, Al Strobel, who who we met at Twin Peaks Fest in, is I'm a wonderful. Genuinely disappointed being. we didn't get to talk to him because he was. We talked briefly, did we? Or I didn't. I he did. was just constantly surrounded by, yeah, he, like, genuinely, like he was sitting on a picnic bench, and people, like grown ass men in their forties, were just sitting, like cross-legged on the ground in front of him just like listening in some of the extras of the season three bonus footage he tells the story about how he lost his arm it was a motorcycle accident right it was a car accident but it's insane yeah and he talks about it and he talks about how like it felt like his arm like sometimes it feels like his arm that's not there is like boiling in motor oil that's and like super common his head was like scalped like his head was like basically half gone like it's an insane story. Yeah, it's, we're we're um, lucky he survived. Yeah, for sure. But like, um, so he tells that story. He tells about him. Him and Bob were partners. Mm-hmm. And Bob, if you off. remember, um, Bob his is, first appearance was. Oh, we can talk about this. Okay. So this. Oh yeah, good. The vision. This is you saw Bob as a vision that Sarah Palmer had. She saw him hiding behind the bed, and he's the grungy guy this is frank silva yeah he's got long like uh, the, salt and pepper hair and yeah. a jean jacket always who is the crew worker um i don't remember how much we said about this now on the you, pilot you said you wanted to get back to it okay 
Um, but she pops up because she had in the pilot at the very end of the pilot last shot. She sits up on the couch and freaks out because she has the vision of the gloved hand taking the half heart necklace out mm-hmm. of the ground. And when she does that behind her in the mirror is Frank Silva, who was a crew member. And that was a mistake on set. And that is an accident. But because of that, they use Frank Silva to play Bob. And Frank Silva happens to be like an old yeah. hippie looking creepy dude. He was long, long dark hair, had a, you know, half kind of gross beard, jean jacket, black t-shirt. Loves like. the jean jacket. And so he ended up becoming Bob, who is the bad guy, the demon-esque character. Him, Mike and Bob used to kill together. And you're in some weird state, so you don't know if these are ghosts demons aliens whatever you don't really know um but bob and mike killed together you're making a weird face oh i'm sorry i was just googling because i've never meant i've never happened to look at the mirror when i'm supposed to to see bob and so i'm just googling it yeah and it's not really that Oh yeah, I guess you can see him, but it's not like genuinely. Yeah, people. That's nobody why nobody would have ever. That's noticed. why it went to print because people didn't notice. Uh, you've seen. It. I was yeah. going to show it to you. You've seen it. Um. Anyway. Yeah. Just Google. I just googled Bob first appearance or Frank's Bob in Mirror or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Um, oh, I'll link to it in the show notes. There you go. Um. So anyway, so Mike tells that story cryptically. Mm-hmm. In in very poetically, very poetic, and then continues to read what's a very another very famous line uh-huh. from the show. This this poem of uh, through the darkness of future past, the magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds. Fire, Fire walk, walk with, with me. me. Which, if you remember, there's the little scrap no. the scrap of paper with "Fire Walk with Me" written on blood at the train's car mm-hmm. now there's some context the train car where uh laura was murdered laura was murdered um now there's some context to what does fire walk with me mean now there's this guy repeating it can yeah. i ask you a question yes it, when you think of the scent the phrase fire walk with me are you thinking fire walk like walk on coals with me or are you thinking fire comma walk with me neither Okay, what are you thinking? Electricity. What? Michael, we've talked about this a lot. Electricity and fire aren't the same thing. You can't just start our light bulbs on fire and pretend that's electricity. You've burned one good house down that way. It's electricity plays a large factor in Twin Peaks. Okay. It's also a metaphor for duality with alternating current. Oh. Um... But in olden times, electricity was seen as fire. Like okay. it's this olden days. You mean nineteen eighty nine? Right, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yes. And which is where a demonic type presence may have come from. But fire and electricity were kind of fire is representative of electricity. Okay. And electricity is. And fire can be a consequence of electricity. Sure, and it's a. It's a metaphor for um, electricity is traveling fire, essentially. Okay. So I see fire walk with me as electricity. Oh, okay. I don't understand why everyone doesn't pick that up. 
<laughs> yeah, stop being so literal, David Lynch. But, right, exactly. <laughs> but but you start talking about the magician, which is someone who can manipulate fire and elect. Basically, a magician is someone who can man- manipulate fire into electricity. That kind of mm-hmm. concept. Sure, that's how I see all of that. Um, okay, then we cut to and we keep seeing uh, images, little images yeah. of the man from another place. Yeah, you see him briefly. And he's like, but not entirely yet. You, you also you first see Bob, where he's like, Mike, Mike, oh, yeah, can you hear me? I'll catch you with my death bag. You may think I've gone insane, but I promise I'll kill again. So now you know Bob's a killer. And this is why you get the name Killer Bob. Clever. Um, Wait, explain to me how they got there again. Right, it's it's electricity. <laughs> okay. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's a strong connection there. So, so this is where you get into the lore of Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. where everything is open much more to interpretation. Mm-hmm. So after you're kind of introduced to the Mike and Bob entities, you're brought into what is safely referred to as the Red Room. There's interpretations about what the red room is, where it is, that kind of stuff. My wed wagon? Oh, R.I.P. Oh. Yeah, rest in show, Fred Willard. <laughs> um, but you end up in this, with this, um, you, you see this room, and you see Agent Cooper there. So the room is, if, you, if you've seen our logo, you're... Yeah. familiar with it it's the black and white chevron which mikey and i were discussing the floor is black and white chevron but it's like yellowed yeah, with age it's, yeah uh and then it's a red bright curtain. red curtains there you see agent cooper sitting on like this like vinyl um what's the word uh the velour kind of i don't know what you're going for yeah it's like velour okay but whatever like crushed velvet is yeah that? velvet okay thing, yeah <laughs> um He's sitting in a chair, and he's seemingly aged 25 years. Um, is there a 25 years later title? I don't recall. No. I don't think I so. Think, but maybe. Um, but he's older with bad makeup, which is funny because he, Kyle McLaughlin as a human, looks significantly better than he did so in there. So good. Um, uh. But then there's the Chevron floor, and... Someone is sitting, so you see a small man in a red suit in the corner. You only see his back so far. You see Laura sitting across from him. Mm-hmm. On his table to the right, which is actually where you start the shot, is on a small green lamp the shape of Saturn. And there is a um, Venus. Okay, I'm Venus. just looking this up right now. Um it is because we both thought it was because um, it's very obviously like Greek sculpture. Um, we both thought it was the Venus de Milo, but the arms were added back. But in fact, it is the Venus de Medici. It's Roman, right? Might be Roman. Because I think because um, the reference, the reference I always got out of that was that that's the referencing the Venus, the god of love, which that's Greek. It's in Athens. Okay. Um, and then Saturn, who's the Roman god of well time and time and love. Well, actually, sorry, no, well, actually, at you. Um, well, you didn't have to say well, actually, but you could have. Yeah. Um, 
So the Romans very famously, famously, if you're a nerd who reads about Greek, Greek mythology, see now that this is this is exactly it. You're stealing. You're um, educating me. So bring it on. Um, so if you study Greek mythology, um, you'll find inevitably that uh, Roman mythology is largely based off of Greek mythology. Okay. So Venus is Aphrodite. Okay. And Saturn is, uh, I think it's Zeus. Um, so when I thought Saturn was the Roman god of time. I've Saturn, looked that up before. Greek god. Because I don't think Saturn is Greek. Kronos. Oh, yeah, you're right. Kronos, which is the, the god of time. The god of time. And time and love huh. are two Greek. concepts that factor largely into the overall story of Twin Peaks. Um. So yeah, essentially the Romans sort of nabbed what the Greeks were doing and, sure. and modified it. Uh, so oh, Jupiter, Zeus is Jupiter. Hera, um, who is Zeus's wife, is Juno. Uh, Poseidon is Neptune. Cronus is Saturn. Aphrodite is Venus. Hades is Pluto, which is God in the underworld. Got it. Um, Apollo and Apollo, one for one there. Uh, Athena and Minerva. So uh, Artemis, Diana. So that's my tattoo. That's those are the two. Anyway, so so you're not wrong. Whatever you read wasn't wrong. It just is a Greek interpret uh, Roman interpretation of, of Greek mythology. Point being, there's Saturn, which is representative of time, and Venus, which is representative of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and did we lose our track a little bit? Yes. <laughs> um, oh, you're just describing the room. So there's the curtains. Yes. There's the floor. There's the statue. There's the Saturn thing. Yes. There's a small man in the corner mm-hmm. who. Turns around and says, let's rock. Let's rock. Backwards. I'm really good at doing the backwards talk. So. so what the way this is done is, and this actually came from Michael J. Anderson, who's the guy who plays um, the, the man little from man, another place the man from another place. Um, he is, a, this is a thing he just knows how to do really well. It was a thing he used to do with his friends, right? Yeah, something like that. Like, and taught people Laura or Cheryl uh, Cheryl Lee specifically oh oh taught how, the actress. how to do it um Cooper doesn't have to in this scene mm-hmm. he never he's everything Cooper does is forward so what they do is take a line of dialogue like let's rock read it backwards phonetically Girl. and then record so. that yeah and then record that and, and reverse that audio track. And play it at, at the same pace as right. a normal So track. that it sounds forward, but weird. So deeply so weird. So when you hear it, it sounds like, well, it's rock. It's a- and it's, it's a weird sound, but you can still kind of understand it. And they it. subtitle it. And they subtitle it to make sure. Which, if they didn't, it would be. Yeah. So you get, you hear a bunch of, he dances. A very distinctive, like yeah, elbows. Like a, a lot of elbows, a lot, a lot of, of ridge cage. Yeah, a lot of Mikey swirling. and I are both doing it. Can you see it? Um, but then he sits down in the chair, um, and next to, and he rubs his hands together and says uh, a bunch of cryptic things. Yeah, where the, I come from. There's always the keychain I got you. The, where, where, where we're from, there's always music in the. The birds sing a pretty song, and there's always music in the air. Um, there's a thing that I heard recently that I thought was insane at first. And I started seeing things in it that I find really intriguing now. 
Um, one of the things he says, aren't you Laura Palmer? And she says, um, sometimes I feel like her. Sometimes I feel like Laura Palmer. I feel like her, but sometimes my arms, sometimes my arms bend back. Doesn't, I don't even remember that. Look it up. There's, uh, what did she say about her? Um, she's, she's my cousin. Sometimes I feel like her, but my arms bend back. That's what she says. Because I know there's a thing about cousins. No, because he says she she's my cousin, but doesn't she look almost exactly like Laura Palmer? That's it. That's it. And then she said, yes, thank you. Um, I couldn't piece of I want to say, it sounds like I know the show better than Mikey, but I'm just really good at recalling dialogue in a way yeah. that Mikey no, is not. That's great. He's much better at this in general. Um, but then he looks at her, and she touches the side of her nose mm-hmm. in a way that's like, wow, okay, what does that mean? And I never got any context on that. I never was able to put that into any kind of working theory as to what that really means. Yeah, because I can't think that kind of And I... Except for the voice, sort of. Yeah, I did hear a thing recently that... This is, it's weird. I thought this was insane the first time I heard it. And it's growing at me a little bit. But she's pointing at her nose as if to say, look at your nose. And if you look at your nose, your eyes go cross-eyed. And if your eyes go cross-eyed, you start seeing things separately. You start blurring two worlds. Sounds crazy (laughs) until you realize and look at it again. And I notice it watching it now when the little man from another place is rubbing his hands together. His eyes are cross-eyed. What? Later, when a character gets brought to the red room, that's all I'll say. Her eyes cross-eyed. Really? And it's a thing I've never put together. But now... You're in a different world and you're blending two worlds. If you cross your eyes and kind of look at your nose, mm-hmm. you start seeing two worlds intersecting. Oh, it hurts my head. Right? But it's but it's it's the blending of Weird. two worlds. And and everything in Twin Peaks, from top to bottom, with maybe missing the few episodes in season two that are not very good that Lynch and Frost have nothing to do with. It's about duality, Mm -hmm. but more specifically, the balance of duality. Hmm. And in this place, you're seeing it separately. And I thought it was batshit when I first heard it. But now the more you think about it. And I'm kind of really getting into it now. I thought it was her being like, I did a lot of coke in my day. That too. Uh I mean, it could be, but that's what's beautiful. That's another thing that um, Mike says, the one-armed man says is it's, it's exactly what it's like and it's exactly what it, fuck. This one I don't have locked and loaded. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, um, it looks like what it is and it sounds like what it is or something like that. The first thing he says when you see him uh-huh. is basically saying like, take things for what they are. Okay, I'm going to drop that in. Okay, great. Perfect. I mean it like it is, like it sounds. Um, so, 
So we said that Cooper looks older than he... But so, so like you were saying, it could be a really abstract way of telling you you're wearing this combination mm-hmm. of worlds. It or, could be Laura was a fucking cokehead. Yeah. Which she was. Right. Um, and it could be both. Right. It could be neither. Exactly. And then Laura leans over to tell Cooper to whisper something in Cooper's ear. Mm-hmm. And then at that... At that point, you start seeing lights flickering again, mm-hmm. like you did when he was entering the world so like I don't know what that means necessarily but you're in a transition out Mm -hmm. Um, and then he wakes up uh, calls Truman in his bed has the hair colic his greased up hair has flipped up and become like a shark fin he calls Truman uh, meet me in the hotel lobby 7am I know who killed killed Laura Laura Palmer. Palmer And then the next line is, yes, yes, it, it can, can wait, wait till morning. Which, which is, <laughs> which is also a great, very Lynch type bit of like, boom, a great line to end on. To, like, okay, so the end of the, the episode, I, I know, know who, who killed, killed Laura Palmer. Palmer. Perfect. That's a cliffhanger. We'll get into the next episode, and then no, it can wait till morning. It's such which, a because if you're Harry Truman. You're I, like, no, can tell, you me, tell now. me right now. No. We're on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's I'm awake. Fantastic. But also like, so that's kind of giving you insight a little bit into some of my interpretations of that dream mm-hmm. sequence. Some of the things I like or don't like or whatever. I'm, you can make anything out of that. And that's the beauty of it. Yep. Absolutely. Um, and that ends the uh, third-ish episode. Great good episode. One. A good very, one. very good episode. But to me, this is absolute top tier Twin Peaks mm-hmm. so if you're not a fan of Twin Peaks Michael please stop recommending people stop listening to our stop, podcast stop watching Twin Peaks but keep listening to this podcast <laughs> and and you'll really get the best things out of Twin Peaks without yeah. having to sit through that awful show well and the nice thing is the show is about what 45 minutes and this episode is only an hour and 50 minutes so it's like a time saver is the thing don't watch the show just listen to this right it will save you Hours you can each watch year. It at like one and a half speed. Don't don't listen to us at one and a half speed. You know, people and my other podcast, people have told me that they listen to me at one and a half speed, which is wild because my entire <laughs> life I've been told by my father, by theater directors, by professors, I talk too fucking fast. And so the fact that people are like, Yeah, I listen to you on one and a half speed, I'm like can you please call like Mr. Goad and tell him that I talk just fine? Um all right, guys. Uh, thank you so much. You can uh, find me on Twitter at Blueberry, B-L-U-E-B-U-R-I-E. Mikey is at Mr. Nope. <laughs> God damn. I, well, I got his Insta and his uh, and his Twitter mixed up. Uh, Mikey Greif. So M-I-K-E-Y-G-R-E-I-F-F. Uh, we're both on Twitter. Um, all right. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Bloomke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Forker Creative. You can follow them at Forker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.